I V M. Welcome to the show. This round is on me. We've all heard about how the pandemic has changed a lot of things across the world. However, the one thing that the pandemic didn't change was the retail consumption of wine. In fact, even with restaurants like ours being closed, the drinking simply moved location to home instead. Today, my guest is someone who is a pioneer in the Indian wine segment, Rajiv Samant, founder and CEO of Sula Vineyards. Rajiv has had innumerable firsts in India, planting the first Sauvignon Blanc, Riesling and Zinfandel, revolutionizing wine tourism with the first winery tasting room in 2005, first vineyard resort beyond by Sula in 2007 and the country's first vineyard music festival, Sula Fest, well known to music lovers across the country. His entrepreneurial spirit has been instrumental in creating a thriving local wine industry in India and has brought global recognition and a fan following for Indian wine and Sula brand. Today, Sula Vineyards is India's largest wine producer and holds a market share of 65%. Welcome to the show Rajiv. It's great to have you here. So nice to be on the show Gauri. Thanks for your kind words. So Rajiv, first and foremost, how has COVID-19 impacted wine producers and vineyards in India? So I would put it a bit like uh, Dante's uh, allegory, the inferno. where you have three parts to it basically you start off in hell in the inferno which i would say would be the first three months for us march april and may were absolute hell because the indian government in all their wisdom decided to put an end to all alcohol sales across the country so we collapsed from a pretty healthy market to zero sales overnight as you very well know what that feels like then we went into a bit of a purgatory stage for a couple of months when we started emerging from lockdown but there was schizophrenia across the country where they opened some shops then of course there was a big crowd i mean what do you expect and then they had to shut the shops again and so we just didn't know if we were coming or going and now i'm really happy to say that we've sort of come to the paradiso stage where um sales have bounced back really strongly and one of the main reasons for that as you said was that retail sales have been really strong um you know and those have taken back a lot of the share that we've lost i mean the the sales that we've lost in institutions hotels restaurants um and um you know and things are looking really bright so just to put it in perspective october november we're maybe single digits below last year october november so that's a really wow. good uh, result yeah and last year was was a good year so we're we're back to um you know we've had a v shaped recovery you know cross fingers and touch wood that uh, we don't have more lockdowns and more infections ahead of us everything is possible but right now we are we're pretty much uh, in the clear okay and what was it like for uh, you know the the wine growers and the farmers and things you know i mean because that you can't put a stop on that obviously that would have been um yeah. you know the growing season continues as so actually it was totally fine in terms of the farmers you know they didn't have to stop farming or anything we were allowed to complete our harvest by the local authorities so we you know at that point in fact all manufacturing facilities also were asked to shut but anyone processing fruits and veggies was allowed to stay open because obviously because those are perishable so we were able to complete harvest 2020 without a problem all the farmers have 
you know, been mostly been paid for that by now or are getting paid. Um, and 2021, when that comes, will be Jan, Feb, March. Again, not a problem. So the growers, in fact, have not been impacted at all. The only thing is that last year was a very low harvest because of the very heavy monsoon and the long tail of the monsoon the year before. But this year has been a perfect monsoon so far. It's a perfect growing season. It looks like we have many, many grapes coming in. Wow. But, you know, coming back to restaurants and hotels, which, of course, consume a large chunk of what's distributed from your winery, it's still a very, you know, it's, it's still expected to take time to normalize. It's a very uncertain period for establishments like ours. So what, you know, what kind of crisis, if any, is the industry staring at in the long term? So that's a pretty dire situation on that side. So if you think about your own situation, you've probably just been able to reopen in the last couple of weeks, maybe. Um, and that too with spacing and that too with people reluctant to come in and all of that kind of stuff. And then you're also sitting on a whole buttload of stocks of booze from before the shutdown. So you might have started your operations, but it's going to be some time before you start picking up booze. You know, you're probably cash flow constrained so, you know, you're probably thinking that, you know, for the time being, whatever we've got, whatever stocks we've got, let's sell that. There's no point in ordering more stocks of, you know, of the stuff that's that's not that's missing from the list. Plus, there's the whole embargo situation, um, you know, with the distributors refusing to supply. So so for various reasons, we are going to be at least a couple months behind um, in terms of selling to restaurants than you all are with opening. So we still haven't we've seen barely any sale to any hotel or restaurant across the country, with maybe the exception of Goa, where, um, you know, the beach shacks, et cetera, tend to keep much lower stock levels. Where anyone who is, has a semi-decent or a decent place with decent stocks, they're still working down those stocks. So um, just to give you some data, you know, institution sales were probably 30% of our sales, 70% of our sales has been uh, retail in this last uh, year or two, just before COVID. Um, you know, when we started, 70% of our sales were to restaurants and hotels, and only 30% was retail for the first couple of years. But then that just shows how the wine business changed so much in India that, you know, people, consumers are today drinking wine at home, very comfortable about buying it from a shop, where it used to be that there were certain iconic places like Indigo, et cetera, where you'd go and drink wine. Nobody had wine at home. So that's all changed. So 30% of our sale has gone down almost to zero. But the 70% has bounced back almost 20% above, at least in Sula's case. Right. So, you know, you're, you're down, you end up being down about 10, 15%. Right. And what about, I mean, I know that you also have a presence in the international market and you did export a lot of your wine. So what's the situation with that right now? So that has been tough. Um, a lot of markets just shut down and then, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a, a a collapse in sale in a lot of places. I know you'll read that a lot of people drinking a lot at home, but it doesn't make up for all the loss in the institutional business. So if you take, for instance, London is one of our big markets. Mostly our wines are sold in restaurants. Right. So that business collapse. So, but for Sula, our international sales are less than 5% of our overall sale. 95% we sell in India. India is, after all, one of the last you know, growing markets still with a lot of growth ahead. We have a dominant position. So we very much focus on India. So from that point of view, you know, it wasn't um, plus uh, international sales are less profitable. So it's highly competitive. So we haven't lost that much by not being able to supply. But yes, sales, international sales almost collapsed. 
Sure. So, you know, looking at the other way, Sula also has an international portfolio of wines, uh, you know, which you import from various countries. So before we talk about, you know, the impact on the sale of that wine, take me back a few years and um, explain the thought process behind that diversification, you know, considering you're a domestic brand and right. a homegrown brand. Um, what was the thought process behind also expanding into importing wines? Right. So that's a good question. You know, when we started out, there was nobody who could sell wine across the country. Nobody knew anything about wine. You, you know, you had the traditional distributors who, if you told, they know the dis- difference between red label and black label, but they don't know the difference between Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay, leave, leave alone Cabernet and Shiraz. So we had to put together our own sales force from scratch. Um, now, once we'd done that, and this sales force is going into accounts like yours, going into the table, offering you our wine, it absolutely makes sense that that sales force should also, or, you know, that marketing head or whoever should also offer you um, a nice portfolio of some imported wines. I mean, we, we look at your own example, Gauri, and at the table, you have probably 80% imports on your list and 20% domestics. So, you know, we are by far and away the leader in the domestic segment. It, it didn't make sense for us that we just leave the imported segment to so-called importers. I mean, what, what is an importer? An importer is just somebody who decides to import wine. So we have the big advantage there. You know, we've got the entire infrastructure set up. We've got a cold chain set up. You know, we, we import into a, an air-conditioned warehouse and we insist that all our distributors air-condition their premises for our own wine. So, you know, you've got the benefit for your imported wine. And then when our person goes in, you've got a, a portfolio book, which has, hey, here's our Sula. And then here's our Argentinian and our Australian and our Chilean. And so that just made total sense because our cost structure ends up being much lower. Rather than, you know, if you look at the overall import business in India, it's less than 20% of the uh, Indian wine business. That's actually the way it is. 80%, more than 80% is Indian wine. 20% or less is imported wine. So, you know, your cost structure can be pretty hefty if you're a pure import so player. It's basically the, efficiency. I mean, that's absolutely. What it comes in fact, to, yeah. it's let me say it's very difficult to survive. You would find importers coming and going because the, the costs are hefty, and right. you know, customs and bureaucrats don't make it any easier. Right. So, um, you know, talking a little bit about that, I've definitely seen. I mean, the table's been around ten years, and. Uh, I've seen an incredible evolution in the quality of, um, you know, our homegrown wines. And, uh, but like you mentioned earlier, uh, a large, <laughs> sorry. Great to hear that. Good to hear yeah, that. No, I mean, I'm not just saying that. I, I genuinely, uh, you know, I, I genuinely have sort of, uh, I'm really proud to have uh, the number of Indian wines we have. And we've seen the domestic sort of chunk of our um, wine list, the percentage increasing over the years. Um, and I'm really proud of that. But like you mentioned, there's still a large chunk of, um, you know, share that's taken up by the imported wines. And considering that, you know, India is still a nascent wine consumer, you know, if we want to make wine more accessible and consumed more, the imported wines do need to be able to sort of compete with the domestic counterpart. But, you know, as you know, import duties have made it quite prohibitive for uh, imported wines to make that kind of entry. And therefore, it's possibly still um, seen as a slightly elitist drink because of the, the, the price point. 
what are your thoughts on this? You know, I mean, this is something that we as an industry constantly sort of, you know, feel like it's, it's, an, uh, it's not a level playing field. You know, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, sure, you know, the- look, it's a, it's a complicated situation because don't forget that, you know, wine is one of the few success stories of Indian agriculture over the last couple of decades. So if you look at wine, there's been, there's been constant growth all our wines, all the wines that Sula produces and sells under the Sula brand are all from grapes grown in mostly in Maharashtra and also in Karnataka, you know, with clear benefits, handsome benefits to grape growers. Um, so at a time when the government really wants to support rural incomes, farmer incomes, plus, plus wine is a rural industry. It's one of those few industries that can actually thrive in the countryside. So it generates rural employment. So it supports farmers and it generates rural and village level employment. There are very few other industries that can claim that. So when you have that, obviously the government is, uh, you know, is very reluctant to open up things um, easily for imported wines. However, having said that, we are a little bit more nuanced with it. What we believe is that there is scope for reduction of duties on more expensive wines. Right, right now it's a, it's a straight 150% uh, central customs duty, and then you have the state duties. And you know our position on that has already been always been that look, we don't support um, or 150% across the board. What we need really is product protection from really low end wines that are subsidized by their countries. And there's a lot of examples of that. I'll tell you about that. We don't need protection from first or second growth Bordeaux and from Champagne and from wines right. that. You know, sort of say wines that are landing in India at over five, six euros a bottle. We don't need as much protection from that. Let that be a separate separate segment. So that's something that, you know, we are always actively talking to the government and the government also is it understands very nuanced. Um, but we have something in Europe, especially called the Common Agriculture Program. It's billions of euros that supports European agriculture. One billion euros a year goes to European wine and wow. grapes. 1 billion euros a year. Just to put things in perspective, we get zero, a big, beautiful anda from our center. We we don't ask for it. So so the way that the center here gives some boost or protection or whatever you can call it is by having high tariffs. In Europe, it's the other way around. They give money directly to growers and to wine producers. So for instance, when that wine person comes and does a wine dinner here from, flies in from France, Half the cost often is borne by the European Union. You might not know it. So, you know, it's, it becomes so much more difficult to compete. So we always say that, look, this, there's a lot of crappy low-end wine that comes over at a, a euro a bottle. We cannot have that. It's going to be so difficult for our industry to, to get up, thrive, more farmers to come into it and us to have a broad-based industry. However, at the higher end, you want to bring down the duties, please go ahead and bring down the duties. That's our take on it. I think that that's a stand that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do you think about No, I, I mean, that's the first time I'm actually hearing this. And I think that makes complete sense because I feel that, you know, the entry barriers should be sort of made more equitable. And then it's a matter of, um, you know, allowing the, the because it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's a bit more of a long-term growth, right? You're trying to encourage the wine drinking culture to start with. So if you don't even make the product accessible, you're not going to 
um, you know, it, you're not you're not helping that. And I think that um, you know this. I mean, I've always believed that that the competition only sort of helps in the homegrown brand. So I really hope at some point we can move towards that you know, shift towards that system of supporting at the production level rather than at the sales point. Yeah. Today, you have so many food entrepreneurs, right? But you have hardly any entrepreneurs trying to make wine. And, you know, I just I just wonder what that is. Maybe I guess it's a little bit more daunting than just finding a, a space and, and making food. But you know, as you very well know, that it's pretty daunting once you start <laughs> having a food business as well. So, you know, the government is giving so many benefits to those uh, putting up wineries. You don't even have to put up your own winery. You can have, you can have a vision. You can buy the grapes from right. a grower on contract. You can decide which kind of variety you want. And you can actually custom make your own wine at somebody else's winery. And then the government has allowed 100% FDI in wine through the automatic route. So, you know, you can even have foreign in the- investors. So... You know, I think the government has done a lot of good things also on the side of, of trying to promote production. You just don't have enough entrepreneurs, unfortunately, coming into it. Though we do hear stories now, even right now, there's one or two new wineries that are starting up this year in uh, Nasik. So, you know, the, I would love to see, you know, eight, 10 good, strong producers making good, solid wine here. That's the other thing that we need, apart from having more imports, is to have more good, solid local wine brands. And I just wish that that had happened more um until now yeah well you never know and uh, i i agree that you know there's nothing like boosting the the domestic market let's talk a little bit about global trends now entry level wines are we going to see a shift towards this given a reduction in disposable income or do you think this is kind of just a temporary situation if at all so you're talking about india right you're not talking about the globe yeah i'm talking about india consumption patterns but vis-a-vis so we are not really seeing that Okay. We're not really seeing that. No, no. I mean, we might see, look, when our highest uh, costing wine is, is 1900 rupees in the Indian wine segment. Now, if you're talking about imports, people trading down from something that's 10,000 on your list to 7,000 on your list. Yeah, you might see that. I mean, those are pretty hefty price tags. But if you're talking about people moving from 1200, 1300 rupee wines to 500, 600 rupee wines, we're not oh. seeing that. In fact, if you look at our business, the business that's hurting the most is the cheapest segment. And I think that this whole lockdown, et cetera, has hurt in terms of income, those probably on the bottom of the income ladder, more than those at the top. Those at the top don't need to spend 200 rupees less on a bottle of wine. So our, what we call our elite wine business, which is our rasa, yeah. um, our source, dindori, yeah. our our source, that business is booming. Um, and uh, well, I won't say booming, but it's thriving yeah. in comparison to, you know, some of the, the port wines and all of that stuff. So, so it's very interesting because I actually more and more, I'm now, when people ask me for recommendations, I would recommend your premium wines over the entry level imported wines because at a price there there's sort of there's price parity there but the quality is far superior and the thing that i actually often struggle with is convincing people to including my own family who's constantly saying like hey you know i need some wine like you know help me out um with this notion of not wanting uh, to serve indian wine it's just crazy which is something I'm constantly- we need to yeah, yeah and I'm going I'm to sort of talk, talk about, about that because I really, you know, I, yeah, I keep that's... wondering what restaurants can do to help the Indian yeah. wine industry more. I mean, it's not even just about the, you know, like trying to like, no, go I ahead, think, go ahead. Know, 
So I, th- I think we hit on a great success with the launch of our, the source. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Yeah. yeah, so that's been a big hit. You know, our source is, it's at your table. It's, it's at Soho House. It's, it's at the Taj. You know, discerning buyers are saying, wow, we really like this wine. And then it's a fresh label. It's something new. That's what, you know, wine drinkers are looking for. The, the other thing, we come back to the thing where there are not enough Indian wine brands of quality. And so when you are wine drinkers like variety, and that's a challenge, right? So, and we can't just keep pumping out more wines with say Sula on them. That's, that's, you know, I mean, there's, there are, there's that market, but it's not anymore in South Bombay, for example, South Bombay has moved on. I think South Bombay is ready for wine, Indian wines of quality, but they're looking for new labels. They're looking for something fresh and exciting. And I think that that's the way. So I'm sure that when you're offering people the source, they're probably more happy to, to, uh, to have it. I think that's the way ahead. We all also, those of us who are here, need to be more innovative, have a unique offering, um, you know, different labels that tell a different story and they are made with a different winemaking uh, viewpoint. Um, you know, that's, that's part of the thing. But, you know, one of the things you said, I really like. So there are two things you said. One, you said your family, sometimes you have a problem convincing them. But at the beginning, you said that clearly Indian wines are getting better and better. Now, what we can do is make our wines better and better and not increase prices too much. And you'll see that we've pretty much held prices constant for two years. You might have noticed that. Um, and so, you know, and then hopefully people will say, hey, wow, at this price point, this wine just keeps getting better and better. And, you know, it's just, uh, it makes total sense to choose this wine now. And yeah. I, I hope we reach that point. Yeah, well, I, I hope so too. Um, Online buying of wines, you know, the government finally, uh, a bit late to the party, but finally allowed the online retail of wines out of necessity, um, you know, for social distancing reasons. Uh, But as far as I heard, it reeled in customers like never before. Is this here to stay? So I would like to distinguish between online buying and home delivery, right? So these are two distinct things. Online buying means means you can click, um, you know, on on a website. This, 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 boom, pay online and the wine gets delivered. Home delivery is good old fashioned. Call Warden Wines or call Shah and say, hey, uh, you, you know, send me this patty and that patty. And the delivery boy comes with, with the wines to your doorstep. Now, the government's view, and you know, we are okay with this, is that home delivery is something that we should now allow again. Remember that it used to happen very much in Mumbai up to five years ago, four years ago, and then suddenly... In the middle, uh, there was, uh, you know, it got stopped. Now it's got restarted. Everybody sees that this makes a lot of sense. We have highlighted to the government the fact that for women in particular, buying alcohol is almost an unsafe, uh, you know, it's an unsafe environment. You just look at the way our alcohol stores are and you just, you, you drive by and you'll see a counter with, with 10 guys throwing their hands out, trying to grab something. You know, which woman is going to feel comfortable about going there and buying a bottle of anything? So we have highlighted to the, to the government that leave aside your thing about ID check and this and that. You are creating an unsafe buying environment for women by, by insisting that they have to go to the shop. And the government really sat up and took notice when we said that. I think that was a good angle. And they said, yes, you know, you're absolutely right. No women in our households ever go to buy booze because it's so, yes, home delivery is something that should happen. Online, they have serious reservations. It goes against the whole Prohibition Act about the marketing 
in places that anyone can see, et cetera, et cetera. So there's hurdles to get over as far as online goes. But home delivery has been a total boon, has been uh, you know, a bonanza. And I think that that's here to stay. And that's really saved the wine industry. Wow. Um, the ready to drink segment. So firstly, congratulations on the recent launch of your wine beer in a can. Um, you know, we're seeing you. more producers get into the segment, uh, which addresses the consumer's need for convenience. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about and the process to identify and produce this as a product line? Yeah. So, you know, once again, Sula was the pioneer in bringing out India's first wine in a can and that's Bia. Um, and we started thinking about this maybe three years ago. Um, and then, you know, it took us some time to narrow down on which was the wine, which is the, and we decided that let's start out with a nice low alcohol, slightly sweet, slightly sparkling, fun wine, because the packaging is fun. And, you know, so you want something, we don't want to start with a very serious wine or, or a very low quality wine. And, you know, we already had beer in our uh, portfolio, you know, we were already producing it in bottles, but it was unwieldy. These bottles were tall and, you know, they break easily. We said this is the best wine to do in a can. So finally, we launched, uh, I guess, about just before the pandemic started. So that's been a little bit uh, slow on, on that front. But consumers are loving it. So I see a lot of potential um, in this segment. And it's the kind of thing that all of us have to continue doing. So after we came out with Dia, then Fratelli came out with Tilt. So there's already two wines now available in the market in cans. And I think that the dam's about to burst. I just think that you're going to see within one year, you're going to have at least four or five more brands in a can. It's it's inevitable. Um, it's also from a sustainability point of view, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. You know, why do you want to be shipping uh, heavy glass bottles around the country when you can be shipping lighter cans, fully recyclable? Um, so there's all of that stuff going on. And it just, to me, it makes a lot of sense. You're sitting in your, on your couch watching IPL. You don't want to go through that whole thing necessarily of opening a bottle and having glass wine glasses, you know, but a can of chilled wine, which you like, you know, sip it just like somebody's yeah. drinking a beer, somebody's drinking yeah. a Pepsi, somebody's drinking a, a wine. Yeah. No, I think it's, again, it's about that uh, making it a little more accessible and, uh, you know, less elitist sort of trying to shed that approachability or, or rather have that approachability for wine. But it's really interesting that you said that this process actually started three years ago, because for me, that's, you know, in any industry, when you're kind of looking at trends and you're looking at, you're trying to predict, you sort of have to be really ahead of the game in terms of you know, thinking yeah. three years ahead. Now it would be much easier. Yeah. Now exactly. it would be much easier for everyone following because, you know, we've done all the hard work about getting yeah. the standards approval. We had to get since that gives you the BIS standard and to, who would certify that, yes, this is fit for human consumption because it's the first time wine is in a can and then get excise permission. Yeah. So until that excise was not allowing wine in a can. Now, once they've allowed one, it becomes much easier for everyone else to come through. Yeah. Um, sustainability, you know, obviously protecting our planet has been one of the top priorities, especially for the younger generation who are also prime wine drinkers as of now. Um, is this a realistic goal uh, for the domestic wine industry? Very realistic and not just realistic, very much happening. So, you know, as far as Sula is concerned, sustainability is one of our pillars and always has been. So, yeah, I'm waiting for you to come out to Nasik. I really hope that I'm going to see you there one of these days so you can see for yourself as our honored guest, as a great mm -hmm. pioneer, is Gauri Devi Dayal with the table. So we would like to see you to see for yourself the amazing stuff we're doing with solar energy, 
Oh, did I lose you all again? No, there you are. With solar energy, with rainwater harvesting, with drip irrigation, with uh, packaging, uh, with vermicompost, with reduction of chemicals in the vineyards, all of that good stuff is going on as we speak. And it really imbues everything we do. Amazing. So just to put it in perspective, uh, I don't know if you know that we, Sula, generate close to two megawatts of solar power ourselves, uh, which is massive. Wow. Yeah, which is enough to power, you know, I don't know, a thousand homes or something. So we have our rooftop solar. It's absolutely massive. We do close to two megawatts ourselves. So during the daytime, all our energy needs are met by solar. And we take advantage of net metering and all of that. Then we do fantastic rainwater harvesting. So again, our roofs collect a lot of water. All of that water is collected. Um, and we've done a lot of stuff in the vineyards to reduce our use of water. Uh, we've done a lot in the winery to reduce because a fair amount of water gets used in winery. Sure, you I'm sure. Got to, you got to focus on reducing your water use and then on reusing whatever the water is coming out, putting it into Absolutely. it. So we're doing a lot of stuff that, in fact, we won Drinks Business Sustainability Award, a green award. About three years ago, I went to London to, well, I was in London. I won't say I flew all the way to London to pick it up. But, you know, I, I picked up an award for that. Sula is a real pioneer across the world in terms of sustainable viticulture and winemaking. Amazing. And you mentioned about coming to Nasik. So wine tourism, what can we look forward to? Of course, you're again ahead of the curve in that front. But, uh, you know, what, what, what more can we look forward to? It's a really exciting time. Um, again, it was really tough for six months. So I just want to tell you what I've been doing during COVID. I've been in Nasik. Um, I've been on the vineyard. I was there for eight months without leaving the property pretty much. Um, uh, blending the 2020 harvest, which is the first time I was really close to that process in five years. So I feel really happy about it. And if you see a bottle of 2020, remember Rajiv Samant was very much a part of making this. And I hope you're going to say, wow, this is a great wine and a great vintage. Um, so our hotels were shut four months, uh, six months, maybe. Tasting room was shut. But now that they've reopened, everything is really bounced back. I'm really happy to say that in October and November, our hospitality revenues are the same as last year, October and November. So people are flocking back. Yes, we are sticking to all the standards. Um, but we found there's such a thirst for going to the vineyard and drinking the wine where it's made and seeing for yourself. People love it. And, you know, we've barely scratched the surface. If you just think about how many people have visited us. Okay, we are the most visited vineyard in the world. I don't know if you know that. Wow. So last year, yeah, last year we crossed 4 lakh visitors. Um, nobody else comes, comes close. I mean, that's a thousand visitors a day. So, um, you know, there's people coming from all corners of India and the world. Um, a lot of people, you can see it's their first time drinking wine. So we always, we also say that we are the place where more people taste their first glass of wine than anywhere else on earth. Lovely. So than anywhere else in the universe. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that I think Indian wine tourism has, uh, has uh, a long way to go. We, we are, uh, a lot of people are doing some cool stuff. It's still quite small. Obviously, it's nothing compared to a Napa or a oh. Cape wine country or anything like that. But it's growing, you know, every week, every month, some new facility coming up, yeah. a new this thing. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's very exciting. It's headed in the right direction. That's great. Um, yeah, we're going to need food to match <laughs> and cheese and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I think all of that is happening. You know, we all want to upgrade our food there because people who come there, mostly if you're coming to drink wine, you're a foodie. Of course. Yeah. You know. So that kind of stuff is stuff also that we're looking forward to that, you know, restauranters like yourself say that, hey, let's let's look at opening something in, in wine country. Yeah. Um, you know, that's going to be the next step. Yeah. 
So Rajiv, every crisis poses an opportunity to learn, improve and innovate. Uh, and everyone is going to come out of the crisis changed in some way for the better, I hope. What have been some of your learnings? So we have done a lot during this crisis. Um, we, we changed, we, we made our whole production and manufacturing operation so much more streamlined and efficient that today we're making the same wine with, you know, uh, a third less man hours, for example. I mean, that's, that's just something um, amazing. We um, also have uh, at our head office, which is nothing to do with the winery, we have decided to go forever on a just two days in the office every week routine, three days work from home, and that's forever. Uh, we don't want to go back. So we, in fact, we gave out a third of our office. We had two wings. We gave out a third to Epigamia Yogurt. They are our neighbors now, another great company. Um, and in fact, in the future, we are thinking that once Epigamia moves out, we'll probably just occupy that smaller wing, the one third, and give out the two thirds. So we just realized that, you know what, why did people need to cram into these horrendous local trains every day to get to work? You know, I mean, what does it do to you as a human being to take that train back and forth every day? It's really mm -hmm. a, an assault on your humanity. So we're not going to ask our people to do that anymore. They can sit. We give them good internet connections at home and uh, they do their work from home. And at the winery, um, you know, just things the, with the wine, with me being there, We've, we've learned a lot about how we can make the wine even better. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this year's Reserve Reds. I think we've really upped our barrel making, barrel hygiene procedures, barreling procedures to, to give you an even better Rasa, Dindori experience. Um, I don't know. We've learned a lot. Nice. We've learned about ourselves. I've learned about myself that I've really enjoyed my time with my family and my little two-year-old. Yeah. I would never have been able to spend this much time with her. So that's something great as well. Absolutely. I, I, One more thing is that our people don't need to fly around the country and around the globe all the time. So we are, are cutting back massively on our flights, not just during COVID, obviously, but even post COVID, we just decided, you know, we used to love going to our trade shows and drink lots of wine and eat foie gras or whatever. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to be doing that that much anymore. So pro wine, etc. And even going around the, the, the country to meet clients, et cetera, there's going to be a little less of that. It's going to yeah. be much more, our business is going to be much more localized. Yeah. No, I think there's always been uh, the possibilities of these efficiencies. It's just thrown it, thrown us into that uh, sort of frame of mind now. And, you know, we see that things can work. And, yeah. uh, and you know, we listen, we've had fun, right? There's a lot of us who've enjoyed being sort of globetrotting, jet set, oh, wow, I'm getting <laughs> on this flight there, I'm getting on that flight and this and that and drinking this good wine on this flight. But you know, hey, it's so unnecessary. It's yeah, so unnecessary. Yeah. We have a big problem, a much bigger problem than COVID facing us right now, which is climate change. Um, we didn't talk about that, but let me tell you that uh, Nasik is facing it as bad as vineyards all over the world. You know, vineyards all over the world, you've had fires. Frost. Uh, you yeah. had, you know, early frost. Um, you have, you know, the, you don't have the cool weather that you had before yeah. you have drought and Nasik also faces it. And that today, I would say, if you ask me what's our number one challenge, it's climate change. COVID is hopefully, touch wood, going to be behind us pretty soon. We will all have to, our lives will be a little bit different, but climate change, our lives are already changing in a big way and they get ready for some much bigger, not so nice changes ahead. And we have to start mm -hmm. 
adjusting for them right now in terms of the varietals we grow, in terms of how we, we decide to farm them, how we decide to make the wine. That's a whole totally different ballgame. Wow. No, so lots of sort of challenges as well as, um, you know, interesting things ahead for the wine industry. Rajiv, I'm going to grab you for the last two minutes for the sort of more fun segment of the show. What's your go-to comfort food? So breakfast, it's poha. I proper, love proper Maharashtra you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> proper. Otherwise, I got to say it's my mom's safed kolmichi amti. So, Ooh. which is sort of a, a cross between a, a Maharashtrian coastal and Parsi, actually with the with the white sauce. So that um, that with uh, with some good varan uh, bath uh, and and matki, and you got me. I don't need anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um. What's the best investment you've made in your journey so far? Yeah, it's got to be Sula. I mean, what else? I threw up everything, tossed out my life in, in Silicon Valley, came back. I, I had started online trading. I was one of the first guys who had a, um, an, uh, an, a day trader sort of account. I had my Schwab account back in, I don't know, 1988 or 89, whenever Schwab came. I made money on Apple, Amazon, etc. 20 years ago. And took that money and um, invested it in in this vineyard that has been a glorious, glorious part of my life. I would have to say I love my work. I love the everything we do, and that's that's. I haven't invested in too much outside Sula actually. So yeah. And finally, what's your message to the young leaders of today? Not to not to mention anything about your age but <laughs> what's your message to the young leaders yeah my message is that hey we all have a lot of work to do you know um, you know I, I i would my message would focus on climate change that, that whatever you do don't forget about the fact that the climate is in crisis if you're a young leader you're the one who's really going to have to deal with it you might as well start dealing with it today be a climate warrior whatever you do whatever else you do be a climate warrior be uh, you know, aware of, you know, what we need to do, what we all need to do to uh, stop this planet from, from going into the, the uh, fires of hell, basically. The way it's looking right now, look at what happened in Australia. One billion animals burned to death in those fires. How can you not think about it and cry? And it's up to all of us to push our leaders and to push ourselves to change our lives, start using less fossil fuel and start pushing all of us to think about how we can conserve our environment and our planet. Rajiv, this has been incredibly inspirational and I'm so excited for what lies ahead for, um, you know, the wine industry, for Sula, um, for our industry overall. And thank you so much for being here and making the time. I really appreciate it. Gauri, always welcome. And I wish you all the best as you start uh, bouncing back from COVID. You know, cross fingers that, that everything goes well and you're back to full full power very soon all fingers and toes crossed <laughs> thank you cheers <laughs> cheers see you see ya sometimes the world needs to fall apart to truly appreciate the little things in one's life that bring joy those things often keep the fabric of connection and community alive that have been missed during the times of COVID-19 meeting with friends for drinks is one such thing which is always cherished and there's no other beverage that brings people together like wine I hope you enjoyed tuning in today and took away something useful in my conversation with Rajiv.